0: You can't buy good business. Even if you think you're going to do something special for someone from a price level, and you think that it's going to come back and help you hear this, it will not. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so
1: you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Access Points Podcast. Super excited to have you guys here today. As always, I'm Davin Marceau, the Chief Operating Officer for Access eForms. And here today, as always, with our CEO, Mr. Tim Elliott. How you doing, bud? Hello. Hello. How's the, uh, how's the downtown office, man? It feels like you're so far away from me.
0: You know, it, it feels like we're far away from everyone. It's, uh, I think our building has socially distanced from the rest of the world for a while. It's, it's kind of strange. In fact, I was in the elevator just, uh, I guess it was this morning, and some people up on the 20th floor were uh, riding up the elevator, and this was the first time they had been back in five months. And they were just talking about how eerie it is walking around with, I think the building is 25% full right now, as far as the percentage of people. It's just kind of weird. It's, it's better than it was two months ago. So it, it's getting better. There's more people around. I just feel really bad for the shoeshine folks downstairs and the, the restaurants. And, you know, they're, a lot of them haven't come back and there's just not enough, not enough folks in the building to support their business. So I mean, I feel bad for them. Yeah. We knew it was going to be bad to him when Starbucks shut down. Yeah. Fortunately, they were the first ones back. You and I used to go down there and have coffee and talk. And and you remember the line? There's no line. You can walk right up, which is great for us, but bad for them.
1: Yeah, there's, there's certainly no line anymore. And, you know, for, for our listeners that have kind of been following through this thing, I'm working remote and until more than likely the second week of September had a pretty significant back surgery a couple of weeks ago. So due to that, not supposed to ride in cars or drive for, for long distances, let alone to, uh, to downtown Dallas. So I'm working remote. We're making it happen. You know, we've talked about the best practices for working remote in the past, and now I'm getting to apply those things from home while dealing with barking dogs and, and kids that
0: need to go back to, to damn school next week, Tim. And by the way, someone uh, in my household spotted someone that looked a lot like you in a silver Audi yesterday. Yeah, so I, I wanted to officially call you out to all of our subscribers and listeners today <laughs> that you, you are you are not following the directions completely of of your physician. I hope they're listening.
1: So the guidance for that, just just so we're level set on this, is that I could drive you know, a mile, mile and a half kind of thing if I need to go to the grocery store or whatever, but they don't want me on main thoroughfare. So that is my official rebuke to that um, on, <laughs> on, on on our podcast. You know, we we like to air things out here at Access and uh, you guys get this in the raw As my boss called me out. Uh, he didn't think I was able to drive and here we are. So it's a bit like mom catching you with, uh, I don't
0: know, with your hand in the cookie jar for the first yeah, time. <laughs> I'll bring the one wheel over this afternoon for you. You know, and that kind of ties
1: in, well, what we're going to talk about today, Tim, and it, it's it's value. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a terrible segue but i'll take it <laughs> my value is now lower because tim didn't think i was supposed to be doing something but now a, a really good topic and i think this even kind of ties into what you're talking about in our building capacity tim and it's the difference in price versus value in your offering to the market and how one affect the other and this is a cool topic for us tim because we we went through this um, you know pricing increase and a really intentional shift towards value-based selling what about i think it was a year and a half, almost two years ago, yeah? I
0: think it was, yeah, it was about that time.
1: Yeah, and, and we decided to, across the board, we, we rose our prices of our product and our services, what was it, 25% is, is a base increase across the board. And there was a lot of focus we needed to put on value relative to our price as we pushed this thing forward. And there was a whole bunch of implications to this and how we trained the sales reps and how we trained our folks to be able to understand the value of our product versus just,
0: the price of our product. And it was an interesting time, wasn't it? It was. It was an interesting meeting where we were all talking about it and trying to decide if that's the right move. And then once we actually decided to do it, we didn't know what the reaction of our people would be or the reaction of the market would be. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but strangely enough, we had a more difficult time convincing our own people than we did convincing the marketplace. The marketplace already knew what the value was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we went into that meeting, Tim, and, and, and I hosted, I think we called it the 1% difference. Then, and we were working with our sales reps and kind of talking them through the impact of our pricing increase and how value played into this. And one of the things that I let in with was, you know, do we believe that the market is price sensitive? Or do we believe that they're value conscious? And I think it was, was it Clayton? Uh, you know, I, I think he said that they were, they were price sensitive. One of the reps were like, they're price sensitive for sure. Right, the market right. is price sensitive, right? right. And, and the line that I like to use with that is, you know, look, look down below and see the cars on the street. And if every consumer out there is price sensitive, then why do we not see anything but Kia Rios or Hyundai Sonatas on the road, right? Right. If, if everybody's price sensitive. But the difference is, I think people are value conscious. And when you look down and that's why you see Lexus, that's why you see Bentleys, that's why you see Audis, that's why you see Kia's because the difference between price and value is it's relative. And effective marketing, effective sales, effective implementation can sway and impact value as an organization, we have the ability to impact the value of our product, thus charging more. And that's why you see people buying different size homes. And that's why you see people, different types of cars, because it's all relative to income. It's all
0: relative to the money that they're willing to spend. Yeah. And you know, along with that, I find this interesting. You're talking about cars, you drive the car you drive for a certain reason. I drive what I drive for a reason. What my wife enjoys is another thing. And, and so forth. You know, you go down the line. People have certain things that have values or things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to pay for those things that are important. And I can't tell you how many times I've met someone. I'm, I'm a car guru. I love cars. I'm a car nut. have been my whole life. And how many people just literally say, I, I could care less. I just want something to take me from point A to point B. So for them, talking about that value, price is the main driver. Mm -hmm. And you think about, uh, you know, our clients and you think about the type of people who buy our products. And this is kind of another another topic, sort of, I'm not going too far down this road, but we have to look at who our clients are. And a lot of times they're a lot like who we are. And so one of the stories that, that we kind of work on is who are our best customers? So when we go through that exercise, who are our best customers? Who are the people who stay with us? Who are the people that communicate with us? Who are the people that love us? Who are the people that keep coming back to us? What do those hospitals look like? And let's find more of those, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you do that, what, I think what you find is you find the people that are not always just price sensitive, but value based. I was listening to the podcast this morning that Mike did with Rob. And I think it dropped yesterday. And I was listening to that podcast and, and it was really interesting, you know, when they were talking about some of our clients, they have to figure out once they buy the product, did I get out of this what I thought I was gonna get out of it? Did I get the return on investment that I thought it was? And it made me think an ROI or return on investment for each customer is different. And it's not always price-based ROI, but it's value-based ROI based on what they're trying to solve. If I have a problem and I'm trying to solve that problem, figuring out that, it's going to cost me less to implement this or to have this than it did before i had it may not be the value driver which is what we're going to talk about today
1: yeah absolutely and and i think you need to you know better understand how people view different price points in the marketplace as well because you know if you go towards people that tend to be very price sensitive right and when you think of things that are synonymous with with bargain or discount Words of that nature, in my mind, Tim. I don't know about you, but I start thinking of low quality. Right, right. You have to sacrifice something in order for that price to be low. Yep. You're not going to get the best product for the less price. Now, you can within the value sphere, but again, if you want a car that's fifteen thousand dollars or less, look. I'm sorry, but but it is going to be of relatively low quality. It's probably not going to have leather seats. It's probably not going to have navigation or parking sensors or on down the list. Right. Right. People that that have cars like that, and when you start to think of things that are synonymous with bargain or discount you think of low quality and you know for us as an organization we decided to position ourselves as the Cadillac of the industry or whatever is synonymous with high quality with inside of that industry and so you as a business owner with your product have to decide how you're going to position yourself because if you want to go low quality and you want to go discount You're playing the volume game at that point, and you're almost commoditizing your product. Right. But if you position yourself as I want to be the best value in the industry, I want to position myself as the Cadillac or the Lexus or the Bentley or whatever that you draw a correlation to for something that's high quality. Right. Now you're playing in a different world. And now you have to offer a product or service that is commensurate with the price that people are willing to pay. And and that was an interesting exercise that we had to go down with our reps and with marketing and with professional services, was it not? Right. And
0: most of those, if you're talking and I'm thinking about clients, right?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think about the clients that we've sold back early on when we were a price sensitive based vendor. Right. And I think about the amount of turnover of vendors that a lot of the price sensitive clients have been in and how many times, how many different solutions they brought in over the last 10 years. And, you know, it's interesting because we had one and I remember Cody, which some of you heard on the podcast, Cody was back in, in sales at the time and I was helping him with this one client. And I remember we, we really did a good job positioning ourselves, showing them the difference of what they currently had or what they were looking at from their current vendor versus what they were looking at with us. And we had quoted it and we were considerably more And I remember that it came back that they had a brand new executive come in and he just looked at everything at the last minute and said, you know what, we're going to stay with the existing vendor because it's the path of least resistance. It's a cheaper price. It's a path of least resistance. And, you know, Cody was devastated. We worked really hard on that account. And I think it was a year later that executive was gone. The product never got implemented correctly. They spent all this money, but still haven't done anything with it. And so the path of least resistance in their case was actually the path of the most costly expenditure of money without getting a solution, right? And so that was a really good lesson for me and not just what's the concept of this, but it's thinking about the stories of what we've been through of when we haven't sold value, when we weren't able to sell the value, when we didn't position ourselves with value and versus price, how it bit us. how either we did win the business because of price and our clients didn't stay with us a long time because they didn't have that value there wasn't something that tied them to what the true solution was it wasn't different it wasn't special it wasn't what really they needed to get right
1: you know and a lot of times the price if you position yourself right your customer has skin in the game and it's also going to help you as an owner identify what type of client that you have. Because if you have somebody who is haggling with you over the price and wants it reduced down to the bleeding edge of things, right? They, they want to pay the least amount of money as possible and they are nothing but price sensitive. I think what we found across the board is that they're the most difficult customers to work with
0: across the board. Hands down. And the ones that don't really stay with you long term.
1: Yeah, absolutely because they really don't see the value because they see you as kind of a bargain basement vendor. Right. And so they're impossible to work with. They put their worst project managers on it. They're they're the, they're the hardest to work with through implementation, they're the hardest to work with in support, and they're always going to come back and they're going to be haggling about support price. They're going to be they're going to just be a pain in the neck customer until they're gone.
0: And how many times have we either discounted the product in order for them to say good things about us or do something marketing for us. And we did something price-wise really special for them. And every single time, I can't think of one that did, that worked out. I mean, it's always, there's no skin in the game. There's no value there. And yeah, they said some nice things for a while, but after a while, what they said wasn't a value because they didn't have a skin in the game, like you said. Yeah, developmental
1: partners or whatever term that you want to put on it, you give it to them for free or or at a bargain-based price, and you think you get that fallacy of reciprocity. Okay, we did this for them, so they're going to be like, they're going to be our best customer, they're going to be our advocates, they're going to do all these awesome things. And 100% of the time, at least anecdotally for access, it stung us. Yeah, and, and
0: I would say, you know, if if you're listening to this, one of the biggest takeaways that you're going to get is this, is you can't buy good business. You can't buy... <laughs> good business. And just like we're talking about, even if you think you're going to do something special for someone from a price level and you think that it's going to come back and help you, hear this, it will not. It may for a short period of time, but you know, what we've gone to is go find your best customers, go find the people that are using your solution or whatever your service is the most that are getting the most out of it, that absolutely love it, love what you're doing, and give you feedback on what you're doing or your product. Those are the people that you use to be your references, not the people that you quote unquote buy their reference.
1: Yeah, because they see the value in the product, they've paid a price that they they have skin in the game on the product. And so they want to make sure that they're getting the maximum amount of value out of that product. So they put their best project managers, they put their best foot forward, and they try to implement and utilize this, this product in a maximum capacity way. So there's the value that they're going to see there. And then if it works, like you say, it's going to work. That's your advocate, right? Right. So I I wanna go back to something that that you talked about, about pricing. Let's take in that pricing vein for a minute because this is incredibly important for, for our listeners to hear. You know, we get hung up on price and a lot of times we look at what our competitors are selling their product for. And we get in this bidding war and we try to charge less than our competition. And there's value sometimes in doing that, but there's a huge danger associated with that as well. For your customers and your competition for our listeners, you likely don't know what your competition's overhead is. You don't know what their cost of goods sold or their cost of sale is. You know what yours is, but all too often we get focused on the competition. And so we try to price similar to them or less than them. And what ends up happening is we commoditize our product. right? And not only do we commoditize ourselves, but we also are failing to do something that is so vitally important and that's pricing to profitability. right? We know what our cost of sale is that access, we know what our overhead is. And thus, because we know those things, we can price to a margin that we need to be or even exceed that margin a little bit and for us to stay profitable. And so as an organization, you can't control what your competition is charging for a product. You just can't, but you can control what you charge and you can control the value that you deliver relative to that price. And that's where the marketing and the sales function come in. That's it, so incredibly important. And again, Tim, that, that's that exercise that we went down as a company, you know, the better
0: part of two years ago. Yeah, we talk about Dan Sullivan quite a bit on, on this. And I get a lot of the mindset things from him. I, I, love, I love what he says about bringing a new product to market and where it should be priced and is it gonna work? And his concept is you go pitch it to someone, and if they write you a check for the amount that you're asking for it, then more than likely you built a good product and you're asking the right price or should be asking for more. If you go out and you pitch it and no one writes you a check, you go back and figure out why. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, either someone's going to write you a check for that solution or they're not. But what you have to be careful is, why are they writing that check are they writing that check because of the value of what you're delivering or are they writing you a check because what you don't know is you priced it way under whatever, what everyone else did and david this, this goes back to i remember when we first started the company i think we did a podcast maybe three or four weeks ago on you know 20 years ago about leadership and the value of training but and i can remember when we first started trying to figure out where we price our product and and what we basically did is we looked at what everybody else is doing just like you said and figured out where where can we fit in because at the point in time we didn't know what the value was we were brand new we knew that we could do what they could do we could do it a little bit different but we didn't really understand what the value that was and that's one of the struggles i think that you know the people are listening right now are trying to figure out what is that value and compared to my competition am i in the right spot can i charge more And that's another exercise Mm. is if you're not asking your clients or when you are out in the competitive marketplace and whether you win or lose, figuring out why you don't really understand what the value of your solution or your offering or your product or whatever it might be truly is until you do some analysis of that. And that's that's sitting down and either yourself or with other people around you saying, why did we win this? Why did we lose that? And so why did we choose the percentage we did? That's a good question, but I think we chose it because we thought that we were undercutting ourselves from what the product really was based on what we were offering. But you have to remember, people listening, that's 18 years worth of experience looking back, really looking at the marketplace and why have people chosen us? Why do people like us? Why do people love what we use and what we develop? And what are we developing now that we weren't developing two years ago? And is our end product better than it was two years ago? For us, the answer is yes, in a big way. Right. And so for us to justify that value pitch or that 25% that you mentioned is easy. And sometimes it's probably too low, Mm -hmm. but we did that based on not just pulling a number out. Right. I mean, we looked at What's taking place and what are we offering today that we weren't offering? Once again, those that are listening, that is one of the most difficult things that you have to do is figure out, forget about price, but how does your product compare? How does your customer compare to your competitor's customer? When they're using your stuff, your product, your service, and another customer is, you know, your competitor's customer is using their product, their service, you have to really stop and say, you know, what's the difference? what value are each one of these different clients getting out of this? And then understand, hey, I need to up my game or wow, you know, I offer way more. In that case, I am way undervaluing what I'm selling. I'm way undervaluing the price of my product. And so if you're a one or two person operation, it's easy to do that. If you have salespeople You have to understand that when we went and we're talking about Clayton and a couple other people really kind of pushed back at the beginning about being price sensitive, you have to understand that, you know, selling value is not easy because you have to really, really understand what it is you have and how it fits into your client's environment and why it's so important to them and why we built what we did and it takes a lot of effort you know i'll be honest it's, you know human nature is it's a lot easier to sell something for a dollar less than what they're doing because that makes it easy for them to say yes which goes back to another podcast we i think if we did that or not i think it's about you know just getting yes is not always a good thing and it, right. it kind of goes back to the to the Voss stuff but you know you have to get to know before you start the negotiation so you know, part of that, what we learned, is getting to your price is higher than everyone else. Good. Oh, yeah. Good. Internally, we say good. That's a mindset that you have to really get to when you're trying to figure out that value versus price. Is If you're not hearing, and you, you and I talk about this, and you mentioned it to me all the time. If we're not hearing that, oh, my gosh, you guys are considerably more expensive than everyone else, then we're not priced right. If you're not hearing that, you're not priced right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Mike and I call it, we call it the recoil and horror effect. Right. The first time that we send a quote over for a customer, I want them to say, oh my goodness, why are they priced so high? Right. Because then again, we have the ability to start to affect their mindset via our value proposition and how we sell it and how we demo it and how we're dressed and how we present and all those little nuances and all those factors in us as an organization come into play then. And you can get them to see and feel as though your product is a level above your competitor. right And affect their value and their perception to where price doesn't become as important. You're gonna run into people in the market that are just going to buy the bottom line product. sure And to that we say good, because then when we can identify those people, we do our absolute best to help them hurt our competition by getting the lowest deal possible.
0: (laughs) It's funny to us, but for our competitors, I know if some of our competitors are listening right now, that we have done this, is if it's a price thing, we help our prospects negotiate with you. If, If they are a price sensitive customer, we will say, you know what, we are not the right offering for you. And we can't get down to that. Our value is greater than that. But if you really are trying to get price conscious, let us help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about, we don't want to sell ourselves to bankruptcy. And this really gets into pricing to profitability and making sure that your margins are correct. And that we'll get to here in a minute, which is, which is turning away business. But you know, for our competition, we will do our
0: best to help you sell your way to bankruptcy. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> there, someone could get in more trouble by selling product too cheap than they can losing business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where the post mortem and the analysis of being able to, to look objectively and see what the profitability was on a deal. Look, not all business is good business. And that was a big thing that we had to get towards last year. And I know Mike had to turn away a couple of deals at the end of last year and it broke his heart. Yeah, But we were able to analyze it and say, we were going to lose like 15% net on the deal. And I don't care how much revenue you're chasing, doing that doesn't make sense as an organization to sell business that loses you money. Look, I understand understand the concept of loss leaders. And there will be times, there's no absolutes, there will be times where it makes sense to sell a loss leader and then be able to capture that revenue later on. But doing that with 20 deals throughout the year, you may think that you're doing well, but when you're upside down at the
0: end of the year, you look back and say, those were the deals that did it. Yep. And a lot of those clients, I say at least 50%, if not more that you did that with may not be a client two years from now. Because they didn't put their best project manager on it because they didn't see the value in it. And so now you're even way further down the hole of everything that you did and losing money to hopefully make money in them the future. Uh, You know, that lifetime revenue of the client is not there. Yeah, because they never saw the value and they didn't stay.
1: Right. And, and then I, I think, you know, we'll wrap this up here in a minute, but, you know, we, we did this exercise with, you know, the 1% difference with our sales reps. And we took one of our solutions that we traditionally sold at, you know, $150,000. And there was a point in time where we discounted it to like 967 and we walked them through this exercise and what that did to gross, what that did to net. But then also, you know, took a five-year service and maintenance period of time. And, and we looked at how much revenue we lost as an organization. And the difference was, I think we went from, you know, 26% net profitability at 150 to like negative 23% net profitability at 96.7. And it was stunning for them to see that on paper yep. in an objective way, but also the difference when you, you know, look, if annual Sport maintenance is 20% of your overall price, and the difference on 20% on 150, and the difference on 20% at $96,700, you're compounding a bad decision over time. And to your point, a lot of times, those ones that you sold at the bargain base, they see you as a bargain basement vendor. So they chop you after two. So in in reality, you never have the chance to recoup that lost revenue
0: through lifetime value of a customer because they're not your customer for very long. And then what you wind up doing is trying to figure out how can I make a margin? Mm -hmm. And so you wind up cutting your cost or, or trying to trim this or trim that. And so you wind up having someone to either implement it or to support it that isn't up to the standards that you would really want and when you do that you, you wind up losing the customer anyway right or, or you wind up with a terrible experience and so instead of spending your time and this is where you and I've talked about before you know instead of me spending my time in the weeds trying to fix all this stuff I need to be spending my time on the whiteboard coming up with what's next and so if we spend our time with what's next and how do we create this and I think Cody just put out a blog on this very thing of you know during the pandemic everyone's revenue down. You know, I say everyone, most people's revenue (laughs) is down. And so you can do one of two things. You can either crawl into a hole or you can crawl into the corner and figure out how am I going to survive this? Or you can get aggressive. And say, OK, we're going to take this time where we have a little bit extra time and we're going to come up with the next big thing or we're going to shore up this or we're going to make this better. We're going to use this time to train. We know there's an end to this thing and we're going to figure out how to make ourselves better during this time and be aggressive towards it. It really comes down to the same thing with your know, price versus value is you're either going to take the safe route and price it so that you're at or below your competitor to hopefully get the business or you're going to be aggressive which is hopefully why you started this business in the first place and that is to look at what the value is and price it accordingly and be different in the marketplace if there's one thing that determines success or failure is are you different when you're selling masks in today's environment what makes you different it's the same thing right? Mm -hmm. It keeps when you sneeze from getting stuff on somebody else. So unless you like colorful print something and you're willing to pay more for it, the reality is a mask is a mask is a mask. And that's not really the business I want to be in is the commodity business. Nope. I mean, if I want to do that, then, you know, that's a whole nother market and a whole nother game. And I'm not the one to speak about that because there's some people that make a lot of money in the commodity business, but it's not me. And that's not what I enjoy, but to really be successful, you have to be different, and to be different, you have to bring value. And when you bring value, the way to profitability is to price your product, service, or whatever is accordingly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And here's what's crazy: is we're not in the commodity business. But if we were to price ourselves relative to the competition, try to undercut them, we end up commoditizing ourselves as an organization. And and you said something that was a really interesting point, Tim. Is you know, if, if you sell for less than your desired margin and you make yourself in the eyes of the purchaser, a bargain basement vendor. Now you as an organization have to hire lower quality people because you have to reduce overhead. You have to bring in bargain basement technology because it's what you can afford. Right. So because you price yourself as a bargain basement vendor, you end up downstream becoming a bargain basement vendor with your people, with your technology. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: It is. That's a really good point. You become what you say you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. You become what your price to be and you become what your value is commensurate with being. So super interesting point. You know, look, man, I think that's a really good, really good place to stop there. You know, the takeaways from this thing for me is, you know, understand what you need to do to price yourself to profitability and price yourself there and start there and build your value based on what you wanna be seen in the marketplace. Do you wanna be seen as bargain basement or do you wanna be seen as Cadillac? And then set up your value proposition and sell and market and implement aggressively at a level that's commensurate with the pricing. And I think you're gonna find that you'll be able to set yourself apart from the competition. Anything to wrap that up? Nope, I think you said it quite well. All right, good stuff, man. Appreciate your time and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you here in about three or four weeks. (laughs) excited about that. It'll be fun. Enjoy downtown Dallas party. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, Tim. For our listeners, if you heard a reference on here, you heard Tim talk about Cody's blog. You heard us talk about Dan Sullivan. You heard us talk about Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. You can find references to all this at our website at accessefm.com. Go ahead and go check that out. We're always revamping it. It's a super cool, sexy website. Go ahead and check that out and connect with us through that. And again, we're always looking for feedback on this podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Give us some critical feedback how we can make this thing better. Go to our website at accessefm.com. Check us out there. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a tweet. Give us a thumbs up. And appreciate you guys listening.